Well, thank you very much, Peter. That's a very kind introduction. Um, I'm a humble political scientist, so um, um, I feel, I feel uh, really proud that <laughs> I seem to have impressed uh, a proper IT person. Um, I'm here actually today wearing two hats. Um, I've been working at the University of Oxford for, for eight years. I'm a member of the Department of Politics. I've been uh, running uh, the master's course on European politics. Uh, but um, at the end of this month, I'll be leaving Oxford. And uh, I'm actually here today wearing another hat, uh, namely that of my new university of Göttingen in Germany, um, where I've uh, um, uh, just been appointed to a chair in the politics department and also um, the university has appointed me to be a member of the e-learning steering committee and in that capacity I'm here today and I'm happy, uh, I hope to make contact with lots of you. I'll only be here today, not for the techie sessions that uh, follow in the next couple of days. But let me talk about my, my little project. Um, I felt reminded when Adam talked about the origins of, of, of um, streaming. Uh, it started as a pet project. Well, so did mine. Um, giving my lectures, I, I, I ran the lecture course on German politics uh, in this university. Uh, I was reminded of my own experience, <clears throat> particularly when revising for an exam. And I'm sure many of you, uh, at least who are of roughly my generation, will remember that as well. The situation when you're revising for an exam is you're suddenly noticing that, wow, your notes aren't really all that you hope they would be. Um, they're imperfect. Apparently, your attention wandered off um, to things more interesting than the professor talking. Um, you perhaps also couldn't really decipher his scribblings on the blackboard. In my days, it was a blackboard. So I, I remember vividly revising for exams that I, I fervently wished, oh, if I only could sit through that lecture again, uh, this time I would really sort of concentrate uh, and, and pay attention and take proper notes. Uh, actually, I should, I should uh, switch to this. Um, so I thought that today's students are probably in a similar situation. And uh, it may be similar and somewhat different in many ways. They probably also think that. Wouldn't it be great if you could listen to the lecture again and pay attention? But rather than musing about scribblings on the blackboard, they probably think, oh, if we only could have the slides of the, of the professor. Now, many colleagues do actually put those up. Uh, but it's, I think it's the combination of the two things, of actually listening to the lecture and having a look at the uh, uh, written information that uh, is, is, is really producing added value for the students. Now, the thing is that 20 years ago, this was a dream. But today, we can actually quite easily make it come true. So. I did it, and um, or I experimented with it. Um, it's actually, this is of course not true, because I'm a political scientist, so I don't do fa fancy uh, exhibits like that. Um, as I said, mine was a guerrilla approach. I've been trained in that respect, because I've always, for the last 10 years, refused to use the dominant operating system, and I've sort of done my way through OS2 Linux and eventually arrived at uh, Mac OS X. Uh, I've always been allowed to do that, but under the condition, as all good IT policies are, you have to look after yourself. So that's what I did. It started as a pet project um, um, because that really struck me at, at some point. I, I, could, I could try to do it, and I was researching, is there any software that could 
try to help me with that. And I was very happy to find out that actually, yes, there is. It had to be done with little added effort. Uh, delivering lectures, as you all know, is uh, enough of an effort uh, by itself. Um, so I was very happy when I found out that the aptly named Profcast software exists. Um, and uh, I tested it, I downloaded it, and um, uh, actually bought it. It doesn't cost very much. Um, and I used it for my lectures. Uh, it's very easy to do. I'll briefly say what it does. It records your voice. Um, it also, sort of within a shell, i.e. runs your slide uh, projection software, so it knows when you change the slides or when you um, uh, uh, sort of go, go through um, bullet lists or things like that. It's very easy to operate, so basically you start with uh, uh, recording with, by pressing one virtual button and you uh, end by pressing another one and it then automatically creates um, an enhanced podcast file, i.e. it meshes up your, your, your slides with the audio and actually uh, knows when to change things. And it then uh, uploads it to um, a server of your choice, creates an RSS file and everything. So it's, it's, it's extremely easy to do once you've set it up. And um, I managed to set it up with the uh, good help of my college IT officer. Uh, and after having uh, uh, iterated through a couple of lapel microphones, um, because I didn't have any help, um, I just had to buy various ones and, um, and, and, and test them. Um, as I said, the only thing that I needed as an outside help was to set up the connection with the college IT officer. I've had glorious help in that respect from my uh, IT colleague uh, at Hartford College, which is next door, um, who got a bit, bit enthused about it as well. Uh, and uh, so um, we um, together tried to um, make the lectures portable for students uh, a year and a half ago. This all ran in sort of early 2007. To, uh, gi I'll, I'll give you a very brief example. I've edited a bit uh, just so that you see what it looks like uh, on either students' uh, iPods or uh, on their computers. And here it is, I hope. This all happened in your lifetime, but you probably don't have very clear memories of it. So let me start by taking you back to the situation as it was before 1989 and in 1989 uh, with the help of a few pictures and talk you to some, uh, through some key events. When the Berlin Wall was erected uh, on the 13th of August in 1961, it cut West Berliners off from entering East Berlin. It also hindered about 60,000 East Berlin commuters to get to their work in the West. As well as an obstacle, it also soon proved to be a deadly border. Both had a nuclear capacity to kill each other many times over. Nobody, it is fair to say, thought for many decades that this division could be overcome, and as a result, nobody thought that German unification 
was a real political possibility or threat. As a consequence, many West European politicians found it easy to support German unification. In principle, since it seemed so utterly unlikely, <laughs> how here were you What is my former British Prime Minister Edward Keith, who probably spoke for many in 1989 when he said that I thought naturally we expressed our support for German reunification because we knew it would never happen. This feeling of stability was shared by the East German leader, as you can see here, uh, and other, uh, undoubtedly similar were the feelings of the French author Francois Bauillac, who said that he loved Germany so much he hoped there would always be two of them. <laughs> Average unemployment is in the 7 to 10% category, while in the East, the average is in the 16 to 28% category. So unemployment in the East is still about twice as high as it is in the West, and you can also see that in the East there are uh, very, very, very little differentiation. You see hardly any bright spots. If you look at employment and the employment structure, what you see is that the East is very much <coughs> characterized by deindustrialization with employment and manufacturing, and the blue part now uh, showing the high part of manufacturing and the yellow one, the low one. Um, right, so much for an example, a very brief edited version of um, uh, the. Um, of, the pod of one of the podcasts to show you, and it's actually, this is done from the original podcast file, so you see how well it scales uh, from uh, either having the display on your uh, small screen on an iPod, um, the iPod Touch wasn't yet available when that was, so, so, uh, when, when that was done, uh, to, to the screen on the computer or here on a Beamer. Well, what did the students think? How was it taken up? Well, um, it was very gratifying to hear that uh, uh, they actually thought very highly of it. Uh, the student evaluation forms um, at the end of the course uh, in the lecture had quotes like, this will set new standards, uh, this is great. Um, and um, obviously, I wouldn't just take their word for it. I uh, also monitored uh, the downloads. And um, we saw that, uh, on average, about 60% of students who participated in the lectures uh, did actually download uh, uh, the, the, the files. Um, there was a peak. It was very interesting to see there was a peak during the exam period. Uh, you could see sort of two, three days before the exam, you would see um, a spike uh, in the download rate. Uh, what seemed to be very important is that it is easy uh, to operate. Um, Many students are not, uh, do not have the IT skills that would be the average in this room. Um, so uh, I had to do a bit of hand-holding. I, I provided a link uh, to uh, an iTunes subscription uh, on my website, which students just had to click on, and all the rest was done for them. Um, and I had a bit of added information about uh, the sort of default thing, not just to download the last, the, the, the last episode, but all episodes and all that. Uh, they required a bit of hand-holding, but, but um, uh, that just pointed out to me that it is so, Im so important to make it really easy to operate for the students. 
Um, student emails also, the, the incident of uh, student emails also went up. I thought that was quite good. Uh, sort of I had several emails saying, I'm listening to your lecture as I type this, and actually a question has come up, say, about the German party system, and could you, could you uh, elaborate on that? So all that was quite good, and I was interested to hear, since I'm on, on academic leave this year, uh, uh, talking to a student a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago when I was here, uh, that they are still being used this year, and uh, the colleague who has taken over my lectures has actually recommended that they use uh, last year's lectures as well. Um, I did put them up on iTunes, um, on the iTunes store in April. I didn't. I thought it was a, I didn't think anybody would be interested, frankly, uh, last year when I did it. Um, so it was uh, restricted to the Oxford domain. Uh, but um, I was convinced that there might be an interest, or anyway, I should, I should try it. Um, I did so uh, uh, on a leisurely afternoon on 24th of April 2008. Um, and as you know, there are no adverts. Uh, but still, I was, of course, that's the vanity point. Uh, I was interested um, uh, whether it would be taken up, and my IT officer told me that uh, 48 hours later, uh, 864 hits had been uh, recorded on our uh, respective page. And the download rate uh, also showed that there was a clear, sorry, there was a clear, very clear interest uh, in downloads. Downloads in uh, late April. Uh, uh, started rising tremendously, 163 in the last five days of April, 586 uh, in June, uh, more than 1,100 in, in, in June uh, during the exam period, perhaps. Uh, and all this, as my IT college uh, officer so nicely put it, on a niche subject. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> it's a niche subject, but the interesting thing really is that um, if you put it out there, people will show an interest and, and download it. And I think that is really an interesting and, for me, a fascinating point. Let me, talk, let me do a last round of reflections on how it changed my lectures, how I had to adapt my lectures, um, and perhaps end with a few reflections on what I've learned from it and what we could all perhaps consider uh, when we are working on spreading this more widely. I found that I had to use more slides. Um, I did use them occasionally during my lectures before, but now, of course, it's boring if you, just, if you have an enhanced podcast without enhancements. That's going to be boring. So I had to put in more, more, more slides, especially pictures. And there, of course, you have to uh, find pictures which are illustrative, but not too many, pictures that are memorable. I think that will probably enhance, although that's just a guess, will enhance sort of memorization uh, of the points that you make. Um, it's also clear that um, there, are, there is less room for improvisation. You basically have to really write out the lecture or most of it uh, while you're, uh, before you're delivering it, uh, because otherwise uh, it won't fit with your slides. Therefore, more careful drafting of the lectures is required. It's something that uh, colleagues are sometimes um, fearful about. And uh, anyway, um, if this should be spread more among faculty, if it should become more popular among faculty, there are fears that have to be taken into account. There are quite a few fears, and it's fascinating. I've talked to a lot of people over the last year about this. 
I guess, sort of 40 to 50 conversations about this. And in all but one, the first fear by faculty was students will leave. And I said, no, they won't. I said that, well, first of all, I sort of made a contract with them. I said, if you leave, I'll stop. Um, but I don't think that's why they did not leave. I think that sitting in on a lecture is complementary to listening in uh, uh, to, to a podcast rather than replacing it. So, but this is something that students, uh, that, that faculty, that colleagues fear. And the other fear, of course, is that um, other colleagues will check what I say and criticize it or laugh about it. Um, uh, and that's also something that has to be taken into account. Um, <clears throat> so there are fears, and um, it's not enough to sort of pump money into it, have shiny hardware and brilliant software. You also have uh, to uh, convince people that this is a good thing. Um, and um, I'd be very interested to, to hear from, from the Berkeley people who, uh, what, what problems they encountered there and how they overcame them. So the acceptance by faculty who are the producers of this content and by students who are the users is the key to success. So for, for the latter, I think the important thing really is to make it as easy as possible uh, and also to make it an enjoyable experience. Uh, and for faculty, I, 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 I talked about that. I think faculty must be actively involved from an early point and sort of be taken into it. They must not be confronted by a sort of technocracy who, who tells you what is good and because this is the new thing uh, and, and, and they must not be steamrolled over because uh, otherwise they will not uh, agree. And to say it once more, for students, I think the really the thing is to have it as simple and as non-technical as possible. Thank you very much.